we started with automation so self driving and we quickly realized that customers really urgently wanted driver assistance and collision prevention so we launched that in late 2018 early 2019 with a flagship customer which is a big multi billion dollar fortune 100 company and that trials went really well and we got orders after that and we've gotten other customers who've given us orders so right now we are under pressure to deliver um we had a fantastic first quarter of 2020 and the product is being rolled out we have contract manufacturing set up already churning out the devices and uh, it's it's been really exciting hey everyone welcome to brains behind ai show where we meet the innovators entrepreneurs and the real brains behind some of the most successful ai startups we ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit and from their experience draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours this is your host ari thank you for spending time with us and now let the show begin Ladies and gentlemen, today we have with us Sourav Agarwal. Sourav is the CEO and Chief Technology Officer at Sierra AI. Sourav got his start in robotics during his undergraduate at IIT Bombay. He went on to do an MS from Cranfield University in UK and then PhD in Autonomous Systems from Texas A&M. Over the past 12 years, he has developed self-driving cars, autonomous drones, and computer vision systems, and now self-driving forklifts. Sourav, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ari. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure as well. So, Sourav, before we start, take us back to maybe your IIT days. What got you excited about the self-driving, the autonomous aspects of robotics? Where did you develop that interest? Was it there, or was it even before that? Um, I think originally the interest for just you know getting into machines and and building machines that have some kind of intelligence started in in high school when I was doing um, aero modeling. So I used to have a, a hobby on the side. So after school, I used to work on building model airplanes, and that's when I just got excited about you know just building things and making them work. And uh, that's the reason I took up engineering. It just really made a lot of sense to me back then. and to be honest when i got into engineering i didn't really study that hard i spent most of my time uh, playing the guitar and and i had a band and i made a lot of music and made a lot of good friends and had a lot of fun but uh, towards the end of my uh, my bachelor's my my engineering degree i just picked up a, a really big interest into mechatronics and mechatronics is basically when you take something mechanical and you you know you control it with a bunch of electronics and there's a bunch of software that runs on it to control the the robot for example so one of the things that i built in my iit days was a robot that followed a line and had some logic in it and if it for example sensed the right turn it would take a turn that just got me really excited that you know you can write some software and connect a few things and you can actually make a machine think and take decisions so that was i think in my college days the first thing that got me back into tech and by, by the time i was wrapping up my my engineering degree the darpa challenge was happening in 2010 i believe and it had already the first round had happened in 2006 so i had become aware of this whole uh, self driving car thing and so that's what got me started into you know hey let's do something in autonomous robotics 
and I applied for a, a master's degree to the U.S. to because I knew that the U.S. was like the top place to come and learn and 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 build this kind of technology. And then a funny thing happened, or rather unfortunate thing happened, that my visa got rejected, so I actually couldn't come to the U.S. After about like spending six months trying to figure out what to do, I got an I did an internship at IIT. I actually went back to my old professor at IIT and said, "Look, I don't think I want to take up a job. I." Do want to do something in R and D, and that's where I think I'll build my career. So, can you hire me and and give me something to do? So, I actually started working on a research project on autonomous navigation for commercial aircraft, like autonomous landing, actually. And while I was doing that project, I realized that I'm not going to sit around and wait for the U.S. to give me a visa. So, I just applied to this university called Cranfield University in in the U.K. and they had this exciting program on autonomous drones like it was a program actually titled i think it said masters in autonomous Aer- aerial vehicles so i just got really excited by that um, because my bachelor's was in aerospace engineering and i said okay let's go for that and that's what took me to cranfield that's what got me started on the path and i've never looked back since then i worked uh, after after the masters in the uk i worked there for a year but then I quickly got uh, into a PhD program at Texas A&M, so I moved to the U.S. and uh, got into research uh, really deep. That's very impressive. So you came here, you got your PhD. Did you take a job, or did you got into entrepreneurial ventures right away? So actually, when I was doing my PhD, just in the first year, I didn't know anybody, right? So when I got here, I came here in the spring semester, and I. I wanted to go out and meet some people. So I went into the uh, entrepreneurship club because by that time I had this inkling that I wanted to build something on my own. I had done two jobs, one in India right after my bachelor's, which was just for a month. And that was in a, in a food production facility. And I hated that job. So I quit it within a month and went back to my professor to do research. And the second job I had was in the UK after my master's and uh, for a bit, again, like I think six or eight months. And I just didn't enjoy it. I, I just didn't enjoy the process of working hard, but not being able to define a vision and do something on, on your own. You could always, I always got a feeling that I was feeling restless, that I wasn't contributing or making enough of an impact. So I just didn't see it for me. So after my PhD, uh, well, actually during my PhD, I started a company called Guide Buddy. And that was in the first year of my PhD. And I brought together a team of uh, five or six people. And we built an online platform to book travel guides similar to Airbnb. So you could actually like Airbnb lets you go online and book, you know, places to stay in different cities. Uh, we were allowing, uh, people to book travel guides in different cities. And these people were just locals. So we started that. We actually grew that to about uh, 150 cities globally. And we booked about, I think 10 or 15, uh, even trips on that. I soon realized that that I enjoyed the process of building a team and building a business, but I did not want to do it in the travel industry. And it was just costing me a lot of money to keep everything running and we were not making enough money. So I decided to shut that down and 100% focus on my PhD. It seems like you were already showing signs of an entrepreneur from early on. You were unsatisfied at the jobs you had. You started experimenting with ideas during your PhD. You learned from your experience. You came back, you wrapped up your PhD. What's next? Where did you go from there? After I wrapped up the PhD, Ari, um, I knew by that time that I was not built 
to get into a job i just did not feel that that was the right path for me so i just decided that i'm going to do something on my own and branch out and uh, it was in the final year of my phd that i just decided mentally that i'm going to build a startup after i after i finished the phd obviously being an immigrant there was the the fear in the back of my head about the whole you know visas and all that stuff but i just said that you know look hey we need to do something about it i need, i want to take a shot at it and if it doesn't work out so what i'll get a job i think i'm employable and if it doesn't work out in the us i'll go back to india and do something so that kind of safety net was always in the back of my mind during the end of my phd i got some funding from the national science foundation it was called the national science foundation i core grant and it gave us i believe i think just $50000 to go and and do some customer discovery so what they try to teach you in that process is the process of a lean startup and i really enjoyed that i think that's what i had been missing in my first startup i did not do enough customer discovery before building a product and so this time i wanted to go in reverse well actually the right way which is understand the customer understand what the problem is understand what's the gap and then make a solution for that problem so that's when i started learning that you know these these warehouses and these factories they had such huge investments in forklift fleets in all that you know powered industrial trucks like forklifts tugs heavy lift trucks and they were really suffering with labor shortages and accidents and high cost of accidents i mean the things that people told us i mean some of some of those things were really scary like people warehouses have had drunk uh, warehouse workers come into work and drive a forklift uh, off a dock and you know they ended up maybe hurting somebody and sometimes even killing people you know forklifts backing up and the driver didn't see what was behind him and crushing someone and uh, somebody gets their lungs crushed so that really just clicked something i guess um, it felt like a problem that deserves to be solved right now it and i wanted to be in the automation industry that's was my passion that is my passion and so it just made total sense like hey these people have got these big fleets i know how to build technology why can't we apply the technology for automation for autonomous driving for safety onto these existing vehicles and bring that benefit of safety and automation of low value jobs to these businesses without having the business to spend a lot of money buying a, a really expensive like robotic forklift for like you know half a million or a quarter million or building a new fully automated warehouse which can cost you know 50 100 million just in the equipment it just felt like the right thing to do so if you made couple of great points and they resonate with me i like that you started with the customer and not the technology you took time to understand the problem and the implications and what i've seen a lot of entrepreneurs do and especially more in ai they get really excited about the technology and try to apply it to problems they think it can solve and it's only when they go to market is when they realize that there is no real product market fit and then that's when the reality starts setting in i like that you started with the customer saw some real pain points around safety and started working backwards to the solution that's great but what made you say that this is big enough for me to build a business big enough to dedicate the time the energy and the life essentially for next 5 to 10 years that's an interesting question ari so the answer to that actually is in two parts so while i was wrapping up my phd i was also getting job offers and i had two standing job offers from self driving car companies in the, in the bay area 
and both of them were excellent offers i mean like the, the compensation was fantastic but after visiting those companies and and this is nothing against the self driving car industry after visiting them and seeing them and i was just exploring at that time it just felt like self driving cars are not something that are going to come out into the field into the open into the real world in the next you know 2 or 3 years this is something that everybody acknowledges and everybody now acknowledges it even more that self driving cars will take maybe 10 maybe 15 years to roll out there's just too many unsolved problems in the self driving car industry so that was something that i didn't want to do so i knew that i i knew that self driving cars is not something that i want to do but i want to do something in autonomous machines so after doing this icore project after doing the customer discovery i realized that look it's a totally underserved backwater market nobody looks at forklifts but the thing is ari that the laptop that you're using right now to make this podcast or the phone that you have in your hand or the clothes that you're wearing or the table that your laptop is on all of this was in a box on a pallet at some point in its life most man made things are moved around in our supply chain using pallets and forklifts so there's about 2 billion pallets in circulation in the US and about a million forklifts are sold every year globally and 25% of those forklifts are sold in the US so it's a it's a huge market i mean if you look at the 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 industry spend on on uh, on forklift operator wages the industry is spending like i think 40 billion a year in forklift operator wages and they're spending another i believe like 30 35 billion which is what our market research showed 30 35 billion a year in forklift accidents and all those associated indirect and direct costs because of forklift accidents so it was pretty obvious that the problem is big and nobody was really paying too much attention to this in silicon valley because most of them are not living and breathing this or have have seen the back side of that that's great right you saw that the, the market is huge and it's it's an important one and underserved so did you try building a proof of concept did you try recruiting the team how did you put the organization together I think that was the most challenging part of the journey and it always is for any entrepreneur when you're building a startup is to find the right people because it's it's the quality it's all about the people at the end of the day and successful entrepreneurs will say this and I've heard them talk about this as well that you know it's all about the people at the end of the day if you have good people you can build the good product you can you can pivot you can scale so the first person I brought on very early actually was my co-founder Suhas he is a he, this is his third company he's built two companies before this and he had a lot of experience he had worked for caterpillar he had worked for companies like oracle and he had you know he he built warehouse management system integrations and he had built businesses so he knew how to handle the business part and i knew how to handle the technology part so it just made sense to bring him on and i'd known him for like about 15 20 years so we had a connection there and it just made sense so and he had you know he had sold his last company a while back and he was also like looking for something exciting to take him back to his roots in industrial engineering so that was my first team player so me and sohas then we incorporated the company in about october 2017 and uh, we really tried hard in the early days and this is just being very candid to ra- go raise funding from outside investors and it was obviously very difficult because we were in Austin most of the investors who invest in this kind of technology are in the bay area so that 
tended to be a barrier. And, you know, just being frank that I did not have the Stanford or MIT, uh, you know, badge on my name and neither did Suhas. And although I had an IIT badge, which is one of the top colleges for engineering in the world, and but still it didn't, you know, help. So it was a challenge getting the funding. So we said, look, we're not going to waste our time on, on, on Silicon Valley VCs trying to convince them that we're the right people to do this. Let's just go do this anyway. So we, we got, we put some of our own money. We got some uh, early money from a fund called the Dorm Room Fund in San Francisco. They, they put like uh, less than 50K. And then we went and hired some people on, on mostly equity and a low salary. And we built a proof of concept. And we got a pilot book within like three months of incorporation. So that was pretty quick for us. Like we got a pilot customer. And that just got things going. We raised capital from uh, private angel investors. We did the pilot. The pilot was really successful. We learned a lot and just kept on iterating, iterating, iterating and building the product. I'm very familiar with Dorm Room Fund. They were actually started at Warden while I was there. That's great. So you got your first customer who was willing to pilot with you and that led to some some angel investing and you were able to get going and, and started trading. In terms of rest of the team, were you able to recruit in Austin? What are your thoughts on on finding talent, given you're focused on robotics and automation and data science? I think uh, Austin is an under-recognized market. I think when I wanted to start the company, and I, and I look back to that time, I, I always felt that Austin would be a better place to do this than the Bay Area, because in the Bay Area, retaining an employee is extremely hard. New startups are popping up every day. Everybody's raising a bunch of money left, right, center, and somebody throws a little bit more money and people quit and move. And I didn't want that because I knew that in, in this kind of technology, in this industry, you need people to sustain. You need people to, to really build that knowledge base. So Austin has been great. I mean, we've got people from Vermont who, who wanted to move to Austin because Austin's a great area and they found us. We've hired people based on references from Texas A&M, and we've hired people from UT Austin. UT Austin is a great college. I mean, it's one of the top uh, recognized universities for engineering. Texas A&M is close by. And now people from California are looking to move to Austin. So I don't think hiring talent in Austin is hard. Yeah, and then that's great, right? That may be an advantage there too, because in Silicon Valley, you're competing with the Google and the Apples of the world. And here... It seems like the trend is moving this way and you were ahead of it. Now, where are you with the product and where are you in terms of finding more clients? What's the state of business today? Business is good. What we did was we started with automation, so self-driving, and we quickly realized that customers really urgently wanted like driver assistance and collision prevention. So we launched that in late 2018, early 2019 with the flagship customer, which is a big multi-billion dollar Fortune 100 company. And that trials went really well and we got orders after that and we've gotten other customers who've given us orders. So right now we're under pressure to deliver. Um, We had a fantastic first quarter of 2020 and the product is being rolled out. We have contract manufacturing set up, already churning out the devices and uh, it's, it's been really exciting. Amazing. And are you focused now on the safety aspect or are you still moving forward with the self-driving or is it the combination? It's a combination. What we're seeing is that in the near term, the safety aspect really resonates and the adoption is really fast. And and, 
a long term, we see that uh, customers will upgrade to self-driving and some customers may want self-driving straight away. And we have a technology for that. And we do have it running at, at sites in Austin and in the Midwest as well. So we are ready for whatever the customer demand is. So if I understand correctly, there's two product lines, right? There is the safety and then there's self-driving. Yes, yes, that is correct. And actually, as part of the safety product line, we launched a software application in January 2020 for uh, inspections. So that to give you a little context, whenever an operator has to operate a forklift, they have to go in to the facility, print out a sheet of paper, and then take a notepad and pencil and go through safety checks like, hey, is the forklift safe to use and things like that. And so, you know, there's like 3.5 million of those checklists completed each day. And all of it is happening on paper. The statistics are like 6% of that is digital. Everything else is paper. So we got a lot of customer demand saying that, hey, can you make that digital for us? We, we can't find those papers. And if we can't find it, then OSHA finds us. So we launched a little uh, SaaS application that, you know, was just in 2020 Q1. But even that's been adopted by some very big players in the, in the logistics industry. So where do you see the future going? Say three years from now or five years from now, where do you see the company? What does that future looks like for you? I think the future is exciting, Ari. Um, what we see happening is that more and more people, more and more customers in this industry, you know, manufacturing, warehouse and distribution are going to get really comfortable with the idea of, of having semi-automation or automation on, on their vehicles. Already with the coronavirus pandemic, people have started thinking about, okay, when this gets over, what are we going to do next to make our supply chain more resilient? So I think in the, in the next three to five years, what we're going to see is our customers adopting the safety solution really heavily because they can't afford to have accidents and lose people because not too many people want to do these jobs anyway, right? And then these customers will be working with us. We'll be helping them upgrade to the next level, which is full automation and getting the, the human effort focused on high value jobs and let the low value or dangerous or dirty jobs be done by the self-driving or the robotic machines. And there's a whole plethora of things that can be done. Imagine if a forklift had a robotic arm on it and it, as it drove around a warehouse, it could pick things and put it on the pallet and then go deliver that pallet to a truck then what you can have is a command and control center with a few people sitting remote. Maybe they're working from home and they log in in the morning each day and they manage these, these vehicles and these robots. And the robot does maybe 90% of the work. And then the 10%, maybe something like an edge case or a complicated situation is handled by the human sitting 5,000 miles away. And I think that's what's going to make the human population more productive, at the same time, improving the quality of life and making them safe. And that's where we're going. Human-robot collaboration. That sounds amazing. So one question I have, say, if there is their future next generation AI entrepreneurs listening to this today, what advice would you have for them? What have you learned through your journey, starting with the idea, actually starting with a couple of ideas and then building and developing? What would you tell them if there is any advice or any learnings that you have that they can take from you? I think the biggest learning is that there is no one right path, but there are always certain right things that you can do to get onto your own right path. I know it sounds a little confusing, but that's just the way it is. Every entrepreneur's journey is unique and different. 
and there is no one uh, you know like there is there are no seven steps to success that if you follow this you will guaranteed be successful but some of the biggest lessons that i learned were like you know first thing start with the customer always start with the customer and jeff bezos is one of those renowned people in the world who's always saying you know it's the customer first and and i think that's the right approach put the customer first so that you keep your target in the right place you're always doing something to make your customer successful and happy so actually in sierra all our team members have a t-shirt that at the back says i am ceo and ceo stands for customer experience obsessed we all have that t-shirt the other thing that i learned is that never let rejection from an investor get to you sometimes an investor may not understand or you may not be telling the right story to hook them on and you should not let that get get to you always always focus on the customer and solving the customer's problem if the customers like you and the customers buy what you're selling you will get the investments you will get the investors on board and frankly you're not building a business to make the investors happy you're building a business to to make your customers happy and the investors are there just for a ride right the other thing is that don't give up don't give up i think it's hard it it sometimes gets really hard it's a roller coaster journey but uh, whatever you do learn from your mistakes be open to new ideas don't get stuck on your own paradigms if if somebody else or the data is proving you wrong be willing to change be willing to change what you say and change what you think that's it i think you have to be adaptive that is great advice indeed now turning towards the industry leaders who are running and managing these warehouses or even the ones that are building the next generation of forklifts what message do you have for them say if they're listening to this right now how can they help you and companies like yours to accelerate on this human robot collaboration journey i think the the message to, to the big industry is that don't let the lawyers and the accountants run the business i think uh, you need to keep your eyes open and be flexible to changing your old ways and adapting to the times the technology is here and it's not going away and uh, if it's not sierra it, it may be somebody else but get with the times don't be afraid of change be willing to make experiments trials if it doesn't work change the experiment but don't be afraid to experiment if you don't experiment you don't change if you don't change suddenly you realize you're really behind and amazon has beaten everybody sir thank you for taking the time out i really really appreciate it great learning experience and we really enjoyed listening to your journey thank you for taking the time out the last thing i have is for the audience that are interested in either connecting with you or learning more about sierra where can they find you and if you can share share that information and and what we will do is we'll also link that in our show notes so we our website is www.sierra.ai s i e r a.ai and we're active on linkedin you can find me on linkedin and i do have my own blog that i sometimes write posts on and it's uh, my first name saurav ag@.com so www.saurav.ag.com sometimes i do not get the time to always reply to emails uh, you know quickly but uh, it's not because i don't want to it's just because there's sometimes it's just too much going on i can understand in the life of a fast growing entrepreneur uh, journey it is it's tough with everything that you have on your plate thank you for sharing your contact information i will put all of that and link to your blog in our show notes so so people can reach out and find you thank you thank you for being on with us 
Thank you, Ari. Have a good day. Take care. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like what you heard and are interested in more, visit us online at brainedbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly AI startup tracker. That's where I cut through the noise and bring you AI startups that are making tangible progress. Till next time, go out, be the brains behind AI.